You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series, uh, Savior, where we look at six different ways of understanding the cross, six different metaphors for what Jesus has done or what God has done through Christ on the cross, six different Portraits. Today we talk about the reconciliation atonement theory. Our scripture lesson today is from Colossians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 15. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continued securely established in the steadfast faith without shifting from the hope by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a British landscape painter named John Constable who gained fame for the way he painted the British countryside. One day, John, in the 19th century, hosted a special exhibit of his latest works attracting people from all over the place. And this large, larger-than-life painting was going to be the, the climax of this show that he had put together. So John covered it with a large curtain, and the curtain would be removed at the moment of the big reveal. When the moment came, Constable pulled the cord and parted the curtain, and much to the shock and dismay of everyone there, there was a large gaping tear in the painting from top to bottom. The attendees gasped in horror, and then they left, sad and disappointed. Later that day, John gathered with his family, and his son came into the room looking scared and remorseful. John looked at him and said, did, did you do that? 
did you tear the painting? And the son said, yes, while trying to hold back tears. So then John did a remarkable thing. He knelt down, he took his son by the hand, and without sounding angry or punitive, he said, so, how shall we mend this? How shall we mend this? Today we talk about the reconciling atonement theory. Jesus on the cross restores our relationship. And if you've, been, if you've been with us during Lent, we've talked about the substitution theory, which is Jesus takes our place, and the ransom theory that Jesus frees us from bondage. Last week we talked about the moral example theory where Jesus shows us how to live. And today we talk about how Jesus mends us together and reconciles us before God. Now, just as the ransom theory is particularly provocative for those who feel as if they are in bondage, they're being held captive by someone or something, and just like the moral example theory is really fruitful for those who feel particularly called to social justice ministries, the reconciliation theory is poignant for those who feel that God is distant. Those who feel that fundamentally Christianity is about humanity and the divine being in communion with one another. For many, when God feels distant, little else matters. I mentioned about a year ago uh, during our Lenten season last year that if I had the awesome opportunity to give scripture a title, to actually give a title to the Bible, I would call it a tale of three gardens. We have the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane and Garden Tomb, and then at the end of the story, the urban garden where there's a new Jerusalem with the tree of life at its center, this urban garden where God and humanity become one. In the beginning, we have the Garden of Eden, right? And humanity and God are, are walking with each other. There's this great communion with one another. It, they say that, it, that they can hear God walking in the afternoon breeze in the garden. Humanity and God seemed not necessarily to be one, but to be in communion with one another. And eventually, because of the fall or the great disobedience, however you want to call it, eventually we were exiled from the garden and there became some kind of separation between God and humanity. It was a separation based in fear. They heard God walking in the garden and they hid. They were afraid either through fear or disobedience or ignorance or willful, willfully breaking the rules. There was a separation. Now, in this separation, when we were exiled from the garden, understand that God didn't go anywhere. Rather, we began to see the world differently. We began to see the world as hierarchical, which was not God's intention. The man in the garden had two jobs. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. The man in the garden had two jobs, to till and keep the garden, and the second job was to name the animals. Well, after the fall, or the great disobedience, after the fall, the first thing the man did is he named his wife. That was not in his job description. 
he was to name the animals. But he named his wife Eve because now because of this broken relationship, because of this brokenness, he now saw her as other, as below him. And if there's something below you, then there must be something above you. And this hierarchy began, this patriarchy began, where God is up there and out there and distant and I am at the center of things and some people are below me. And God gives his life to unravel this, this idea that some are above, some are below, God is distant. And we somehow have ordered our lives around such such an ordering. Instead of seeing man and woman as equals made from the same stuff, we start to see rank and file. And I'm well aware, before I get emails, I'm well aware of how Paul talks about marriage in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. Uh, The unmarried Paul, how he talks about marriage in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. That's for another sermon at another time. But this ordered system was born and it was not God's intention. Or as my mom would like to say, God made man and then improved on the design. In the first garden, humanity and the divine walked together in communion communion with one another. In the third garden, in the last garden, we see something similar. There is a new Jerusalem that is coming out of the clouds. Revelation chapter 21, this is what it says. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. At the end of their story, there's this great reconciliation between God and creation where all things are made new. Now understand, reconciliation goes beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness means that you refuse your right to hurt someone in the way that they have hurt you. If someone slaps you in the face, you refuse your right to slap them back. You stand your ground, however. That's what turn the other cheek means. It doesn't mean to cower. It doesn't mean to be walked on, but it means I'm not going anywhere. I refuse to punch you back, but I'm not going anywhere. That's what forgiveness is, refusing to hurt someone in the way that they have hurt you. It stops an eye for an eye. It stops the cycle of violence, but it's also extremely difficult to do. If someone were to, forgiveness looks like this, if someone were to hurt my kids, I refuse the right to hurt their kids, but that doesn't mean that I'm ever inviting them over to babysit ever again. Doesn't mean they're ever coming into my house ever again. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness means even though I want to, I give up my right to hurt you in the same way that you've hurt me. And Jesus says, well, the disciples ask, how many times, how many times are we supposed to forgive our neighbor? And Jesus says 77 times or 70 times, seven times, which is a beautiful and fancy and biblical way of saying, I might have to do it every day. I might have to convince myself not to punch you back every day for a good long while. That's what forgiveness is. Understand, reconciliation goes 
beyond that. I was mentioning on Wednesday night as we were gathering, talking about the music in the service today, that I do think forgiveness can happen here on earth while we are looking at each other and walking around. Reconciliation is something that I think can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Reconciliation goes beyond forgiveness. It is an actual mending of things. It is a putting back together. It is a wholeness. It is a holiness. It's not something that goes back to what used to be because obviously something was broken there. It's something that moves forward into newness of life where the relationship looks much different. That is reconciliation. Behold, I saw a new heaven. Have you contemplated what a new heaven might be? A new heaven and a new earth where God and God's people are one. So we have the Garden of Eden at the beginning. We have the third garden, the urban garden at the end. And Lent, this time in the church, this holy time in the church, is time sitting and meditating and wrestling with that middle garden. The Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden Tomb. In between those gardens, we hear Jesus from the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or, why have you forgotten me? This is Jesus talking about his own father. There are several ways to understand that text. But for today, it means that God himself, God the divine, entered into human separation, entered into understanding what it means to be even separated from God. God entered into that place and that space so that God might redeem it, put it back together to make us whole with God and with one another, to enter into that place of darkness where we feel ostracized and separated from God, our own creator. What sets reconciliation theory apart from others, like for example the substitution theory where Jesus takes our place because God's justice must be maintained, therefore someone has to pay for human sin. The reconciliation theory is different in the fact that it leans into, as our text this morning says, God was pleased to reconcile all things. And God was, God was pleased to adopt humanity. God was pleased to bring us back home through the peace of the blood of the cross. It's not about making sure that God and humanity are square. It's more than that. It's so that the relationship between the divine and creation might be healed and made whole. Not just putting on the garment of Christ as if we're tricking God when we stand before Jesus, it's actually transforming who we are so that we might be reconciled. Not that our sins are forgotten, but they are forgiven and we are put back together, being reconciled before God. But like all metaphors, as we've been saying in the past couple of weeks, all metaphors break down at some point. Not all metaphors are perfect. That's why we have several different portraits of how to understand the cross, the reconciliation theory suggests that God is distant or that God can be. Like standing in the gap prayer. 
Have you heard of standing in the gap prayer? I hadn't until I had gone uh, to the well uh, in Ponchatoula. Before uh, I was moving to the well in Ponchatoula and before I got there, I was following the founding pastor. So Jack O'Dell planted the well and I was going to be the second guy. And when, the second, when you're the second guy to be in a congregation, the shadow of the first guy is very large and looming. Any kind of change you make to anything looks like a change to United Methodism itself, right? So you treat that very intentionally. I met with the worship team and I said, well, tell me about your worship service. What is the, what's the flow? What's the flavor? Like, what are we doing? Uh, and they mentioned that after several songs, we, go into, we move into standing in the gap prayer. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to be like a pro, like, you know, walking in ready to, with all, you know, all the answers ready to go. But I couldn't. I said, well, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is, what, is, what is standing in the gap prayer? I've never heard of that before. And of course, they looked at me like I had three eyes because like, how are you a Methodist pastor and you've never heard of standing in the gap prayer before? I was like, I went to Duke. We didn't talk about those things. We, basketball was too important. We didn't cover that. Which, by the way, they're not in the tournament because of COVID. Pardon. So I asked them, what is standing in the gap prayer? And they said, it's when we stand in the gap between God and those who might not have the courage, might not feel important enough, might not feel worthy enough to be in God's presence. And it is a beautiful image. The metaphor is beautiful, but it also breaks down in the sense that if there is a separation between us and God, that separation must be infinitely small. Where do you think God has gone? It is not that God has separated God's self from us. It's that we do not have the eyes to see that God is here and has been the whole time. That's what repentance means. It literally means to turn around because God is right here and we're too busy not looking in that direction. Turn around. God is there. Even in the midst when our hearts are breaking, God's heart breaks too. God entered into, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? God entered into that darkness so that that darkness can be redeemed. Irenaeus, we did talk about him at Duke. Irenaeus, uh, early church father, said God cannot redeem what God did not assume, which means that God entered into the darkness. God entered into those times that we feel that God is distant in order to put us back together, in order to fill that space with the divine essence. When we feel separated from God, God didn't go anywhere. But sometimes we need our community of faith. We need the Holy Spirit. We need trusted friends to show us that God is here. So let's hang on to the beautiful that this metaphor offers in terms of understanding the cross. God didn't want us just to be square, just to be forgiven, just to be counted as righteous before God. God wanted to reconcile us and everything else so that we might be made whole, so that we might be put back together, so that we might learn to love God and one another again. It's as if God looked at us and looked at creation and saw the brokenness and said, did you do this? And maybe through tears we say, yeah. And then God kneels down next to us, takes our hand and says, okay, 
then how shall we mend this? How shall we mend this? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, give us the courage when we look at the brokenness in the world to say, yes, yes, we did. We did do this. But Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us so that we might understand that reconciliation is possible that forgiveness is truth, that there is a way forward into a new creation and a new way of being with new relationships with one another and with you. Help us to forgive. And if possible, Father, help us to reconcile. But be with us even when that isn't possible. Father, give us courage for this day. Help us to be thankful for all that you have blessed us with. Most of all, make your presence be known. Help, help us to understand that when, when we feel that you are distant, give us the strength to turn around and to long for your embrace. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.